morning, y'all. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alvin. I serve as lead pastor here at the church. And thanks. And <laughs> it's always uncomfortable for me. But uh, thanks. I, for those of you who didn't know, we, did, we started off our year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we got feedback from the church of how it went. And uh, for people, it was our first time, a lot of people's first time fasting that long corporately with the church. But uh, I would highly recommend it. It's a great discipline for the believer's life. Uh, and we'll, if you stick around long enough, we'll do it again. You'll have your chance for sure. Um, but I'm so glad you guys are here. It's an honor to have you this morning, uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, I know for some of y'all's struggle getting here, but I'm glad you made it. You made it, and we won't keep you long. But uh, we'll keep you as long as we need to, though. No, uh, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be short. Uh, let's see. Let's get into the word. Um, I do, I do want to remind everybody or let people know. Again, we, we're getting so many first time guests and we love it. I just want you guys to know that this is not where we will be long term. This is our children's space. Our sanctuary, our sanctuary is still being worked on. So we're having church down here. But uh, soon we will all migrate to upstairs where there will be more seats. Um, so for those of you who are in our overflow and additional seating, uh, we'll have more seats very soon. But until then, we are uh, Borrowing the children's space, Miss Joelle is definitely ready for the kids to be here. But as soon as that, as soon as that's done, we'll be upstairs. But in the meantime, we're here, and I'm glad about it. It's 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 uh, nice and intimate. <laughs> we're close, but um, let's get into it. I would like for us to do our pre-word declaration. We like to confess uh, the truth about the word, and we pray before we get into scripture. So repeat these words after me. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome, awesome. Uh, the theme for 2022 for our church, uh, we're calling it Withstanding the Wind. Withstanding the wind, and it's inspired by a passage uh, spoken by John the Baptist about Jesus. And Matthew 3, verse 12 is that passage, and it says, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, J John is describing Jesus having a winnowing fan. And a winnowing fan, for those of you who don't know, uh, for those of us who don't harvest wheat um, in the ancient ways, uh, the few of us that don't know what that is, um, it's, it's a tool used when you're harvesting wheat. And it's a separation process. Um, where the wheat, the part that we don't, I mean, the part that we do eat is separated from the chaff, the part that we don't eat. And the tool that is used um, is wind. Wind is used as a device in this process of separating the wheat, the part that we eat from the chaff. And the reason why wind works is because chaff is very loose and it's light and it's easily blown away. The slightest wind causes it to blow away. 
Meanwhile, the wheat has a built-in weight to it that is able to withstand uh, the wind of the winnowing process. And as the body of Christ, um, it's time, well, this is an invitation, I guess, for us to really build a, a weight and a, a strength to where we're able to withstand the winds of this process of winnowing. Uh, it's a very windy time. Scripture says that in the last days, which I strongly believe that we are in the last days soon to Jesus' returning, there's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be, a, according to Scripture, there's going to be a lot of Christians that, that leave the faith, essentially. The winds of life, the, the trials of life, the evilness in our world, the evil in our world, I should say, is going to prove, I guess, too discouraging for a lot of people. And there's going to be a falling away. And I am trying to, A, be that for myself, but also help Nashville Life be uh, stable and rooted and anchored to where we're able to withstand the wind. Not only for ourselves, but for so many that are questioning and doubting and, and wanting to leave the faith. I, my prayer is that Nashville Life can serve as, a, as an anchor, as a support for those who are wavering, and through our faith and our consistency and our, our uh, ability to withstand the wind, we can serve uh, those who, who might not be as, as certain. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing a step more into that. I believe it's happening already, but I believe as time progresses, we're going to see a need for that even more. So if you are part of the harvest, if you are in the fold of Jesus now is the time to truly hold fast to your faith. And, uh, yeah, be aware of, of the winds. Be not, not be afraid, because we're not called to fear, but we are called to be aware and vigilant to the times that we're in. Uh, we're covering different winds each month. And the winds that we are covering for February is the winds of self-dependence. I introduced this last week. Self-dependence, I believe, is, is very prevalent in the world. It's obviously prevalent with non-believers because if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in Jesus, you really don't have any option but to depend on yourself because there is no other option. So those who don't believe in God or maybe believe that he exists but doesn't believe that he's invested or interested in their personal life, they have no option in their, according to their belief system but to depend on their own intellect, on their own physical strength, on their own abilities, because what else are they going to trust in if there is no one else? Uh, Self-dependence, by definition, is dependence on one's own resources or efforts. Dependence on one's own resources or efforts. Um, the Bible says that all of us are vulnerable to this self-dependence that I'm talking about. We see a great scripture that really groups us all uh, in one category, and it's in Isaiah 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says all, which means everybody, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When we as people, no matter who we are, me, you, if it's a human being, whenever human beings go their own way, 
it always ends up being the wrong way. Uh, the, the, the image that Isaiah uses to describe a person going their own way is like a sheep who has gone astray from the shepherd, away from the flock. And if you are familiar or if you've heard before, when sheep are by themselves, they're highly vulnerable to predators. And it's very easy for them to be killed um, and put in danger when they're away from the shepherd, away from the flock. And the Bible says when any man or woman goes his own way, they become like a sheep, separate from the shepherd, separate from the flock, and therefore very vulnerable. And we step into sin. That's what iniquity means. Iniquity is sin. So whenever mankind, no matter how good, no matter how educated, no matter how moral even, when we go our own way, we end up in sin. But the good news is that despite the sin that we've all found ourselves in, because the scripture says that all of us have sinned, none of us have not sinned. All of us in one way have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the good news of the gospel is that the iniquity that we found ourselves in, the mess that we've created from going our own way, all of that iniquity, all of that mess was put on one person, and that one person is Jesus. So when Jesus was on the cross, he was carrying all of our iniquity. The iniquity that we found ourselves in from going our own way was all put on Jesus. And when he shed his blood and when he died, it restored us. It cleansed us from these iniquities, which is why the cross is such a gift. Jesus is the shepherd that saves us from our own way, which is self-dependence, and leads us on his way, which is God-dependence. God takes us from living self-dependent lives, and he saves us from it. He saves us from the inevitable fear and pressure and ultimate failure that it brings. And he saves us from our own way and leads us on the path of righteousness, which is the way of Jesus. And he trains us to, to live lives that are dependent on God, which is someone other than ourselves, which is very different for a lot of us. Most of us, you know, about time we get saved, we've spent years depending on our own selves. And it's, it's a process of learning how to trust in someone other than you, especially someone that you can't see. And sometimes can't feel. Um, God is a spirit, and you really have to train your senses, your spiritual senses, to depend. It's one thing to believe in someone that you can't see, but to depend on someone that you can't see is even, even a taller order. And it takes time, um, but it's worth, it's worth the time. It's worth, it's worth the effort of, of learning how to do this. Um, salvation, when you believe in Jesus... When you turn to him, it's immediate. You are born again in the spirit realm. You are as saved as you will ever be. However, our minds, it takes time for us to adapt to this new life, and that's called sanctification, learning how to, how to adapt the way that you used to think and the way that you used to process and the way that you used to solve problems in your life in this new way when you've been used to doing it a different way. And we see this happen with Israel. We see this happen all through Scripture. Old Testament, Israel. They are the prime example of this struggle. They were led by God. They were saved by God. God was literally moving oceans for them to be saved. But yet, though God was doing all these miracles for them, their biggest struggle was, 
what was in between their ears, and that was their minds. They were out of Egypt physically, but mentally they were still accustomed to living their lives um, like orphans, like, some, like slaves. Uh, and it takes time. We see the New Testament church struggle in the same way. And there's a passage that really sets up what I want to talk about today. And it's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. And I can't go through all of it. I highly, highly recommend maybe doing your two-a-days. For those of you who don't know, the church is challenged. We're challenging for the month of February for everyone to spend time in the daytime and at night in Scripture. Some of you guys might already be doing this, but for some of us, this is going to be uh, a step of faith. So, so I'll, I, I trust that, that if you guys study the word both day and night, you will see a noticeable change in your heart. We're calling them two-a-days. But, so during your two-a-days, try to read Galatians 2, because uh, the whole thing is good, really all of Galatians. But I'm focusing on 2 today, and I'm starting from the 21st verse. This is Paul speaking, right? He goes, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For some of us, this is news that we can even do that. Like, you can set aside, you can actually set aside God's grace. Um, that is possible, and let me tell you how. Um, what does he mean when he says, I will not set aside God's grace? Let me give you a little context of what was going on when he said this. There were some growing pains happening in the church. How, people, how, how many people know that with growth comes growing pains often? So it was a good thing that was happening. The church was growing, but there were some pains that were happening through that growth. There were two different people groups that made up the church. Um, there were the Jews, and these were the veterans. They were what we'll call the old heads when it came to living for God, living with God, living God-centric lives. They had quite the heritage um, of having a relationship with God uh, through the law. And there was a lot of experience. They were very savvy when it came to living life with God and for God. And then you had the Gentiles. They were the, the newbies. They were uh, the young bucks when it came to living with God. Um, Gentiles, they had no real background with God. There wasn't really much of a heritage. They were the the believers that didn't really know the songs, they didn't know the scripture references, all the different, you know, when to sit down, when to, you know, there's a, there's a culture that comes with, with knowing God, and they were totally uh, not privy to it. Um, a little bit just raw, a little bit wild, but saved. And Jesus, I think he knew what he was doing. In fact, I know he knew what he was doing. But he sort of pulled a little scandal because he took these two people groups, very different people groups, and through the cross made them all one and said, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done or what you haven't done, 
all of y'all are saved by my grace. And he put them all on the same level. Now, to the Gentiles, this was great news. Because they had no merit to their name, no credentials, no status. So they were just kind of invited to this holy life, this holy breed of people, having really nothing that they have done to earn it. So it was a great, great deal for them. It was like, sweet, really? We're holy? <laughs> okay, thank you. And it was, they really saw it as a free gift. It was a little bit more complicated for the Jews because they had generations of just investing and sowing and working and uh, rule following and sacrificing. And they had these amazing heroes and legends um, to, their, to their credit. You know the same pride that we feel if a, if a famous person came from our city or our small town? It's like, oh, he's from my town. They had such the roster of people that had come from their lineage and from their race. They had Abraham, they had Isaac, they had Jacob, they had Joseph, they had Samson, they had Samuel, they had Queen Esther, they had Saul, Daniel, King David, they had King Solomon, Elijah, and Elisha, Moses, which was like the, the one. So, so Unlike the Gentiles, they had quite of an impressive uh, history when it came to doing things for God. And as, as much as I'm sure they were happy that more people were getting saved, I think it was a struggle to know that these, you know, wild vagabonds who they had been taught all their life that were, they were full of the devil, Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, that was like the lowest of the low. And to hear that they were now equal with people who had done none of the things that they had done, none of the history they had had, was, was, a, was a struggle. Um, and Peter was one of those people that had that struggle. And there was a great revelation that Peter had. God gave him a vision of all these unclean animals, things that they had been taught that that is wrong, that is bad, you're not saved, you're not with God if you eat them, and he said that the Lord said, eat these things. He goes, I can't eat these things, these things are unclean, and God famously said, don't call things that I have made clean, unclean, and it was really groundbreaking for Peter because it contradicted so much of what he had been wired to believe about them and them over there. And God was going, there's no more of them. You guys are one. And it, it really ministered to him. And he stepped out on faith and actually went to these uncircumcised Gentiles. And he preached the gospel. And he saw them get saved. They got baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. And it was like, oh, my God. They've received the same holiness, the same spirit, the same Jesus that we have. And it was very eye-opening to him. And he learned a lot. It was a huge revelation to know that people who hadn't done all of the rules and disciplines and customs could, could share in this thing called salvation. And though he had been 
saved from an uh, old mindset, he still had a ways to go, like all of us, right? We, we've come a good way, but we still got a way to go, right? So even though Peter had stepped into this, this revelation that the uncircumcised Gentile was just as saved, just as righteous because of God's grace, um, he still had a little bit of an embarrassment um, to be associated with them. So there was one day where he was at dinner with Gentiles, which was already controversial because you weren't supposed to eat with the uncircumcised Gentiles. But again, he had a revelation that God said, don't call them unclean if I've, if I've made them clean. So he's eating with them, and I can only imagine, because these are some pork-eating Gentiles, you know. So, you know, Peter's like, when in Rome, do as the Romans, right? So, I mean, he's, he's, he's partaking in, in a hang with Gentiles because of this new revelation that he was in. And he's eating with them. I can only imagine he was eating some things that probably weren't kosher, probably enjoying his newfound freedom, discovering the beautiful taste of ribs and shrimp and whatever else he knew he couldn't have before. So Peter's chilling with his brothers in Christ, uncircumcised brothers in Christ. And it's like awesome, right? And he's eating, and Paul catches Peter do something that was pretty uh, shady. He was sitting with the Gentiles, and then the, uns the circumcised party walks in, which are the Jews that still believe that you weren't truly saved with Jesus unless you were circumcised physically. And the Bible shows that Peter got embarrassed. And when he saw them walk in, he backed away from the table with the Gentiles because he didn't want the circumcised Jews to see that he was associating with the Gentiles, which showed there was still an error in his belief system. Because even though he had received for his for himself that Gentiles were were just as righteous as he was, he showed that in the depths of his heart there was still a separation. He still found himself ashamed and even embarrassed to be associated with people that God says is just as righteous as he was. But because he had friends that didn't think they were as righteous as he was, he let that affect him, and he didn't want to be seen with them. Paul saw all of this. He was in the, other, he was in the same room and watched this happen and took it upon himself to call him out in front of everyone. And you got to love Paul. He was not in to make friends, but uh, he was here to please God. And this is what Paul said to to, to Peter. Galatians 2, 14 through 16. Paul says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, and when he says straightforward about the truth of the gospel, he's talking about the fact that you are saved by grace. The truth of the gospel was you were saved by grace. And I feel the need to say this one more time before I move on because I kind of got ahead of myself. The Jews kind of took it upon themselves to show Gentiles the ropes of what it meant to be a Christian, what it, mean to be, need, uh, what, what it meant to be saved. And though that's not bad, Paul was noticing that what they were doing of showing, what involved 
what their teaching involved was not according to the true gospel. They were putting less emphasis on the grace and power of Jesus and more emphasis on the rules and regulations of, of the law, particularly circumcision. So they were really kind of putting pressure for Gentiles to start adopting their customs and made it seem like that's what made you saved, opposed to teaching this truth about the gospel, which it says salvation is just a gift from God by his grace. So Paul was going, I'm noticing that you guys are not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. You guys are teaching something that is not uh, the truth about what it means to be saved. So Paul said, I said to Peter before them all in front of everybody at this dinner, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, so basically if you are willing to sit here and eat the things that Jews don't eat and live like a Gentile and kind of just associate yourself with Gentiles. If you're willing to do this, then why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews, because Paul was a Jew too, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So basically, Paul's going, you know better than this. You know that it is not the works of the law that has gotten us saved by Jesus Christ. It is grace. So why, if you know this, then why are you not giving, why are you making these Gentiles feel like they have to do all of these works in order to be counted as righteous? And it bothered him, and rightfully so. And he saw the hypocrisy. And then he said, I opened up with this scripture, but I'm going to come back to it because it's after this passage that he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Verse 21 I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul is saying, I am not going to let the rules and the regulations and the disciplines that I've developed cause me to forget that at the root of my salvation, it is only a gift. It is a gift, and, and that is it. It's purely a gift. And I think because Paul had done so many works for God, it's important. I believe that the more works that we do for the Lord, the more important it is for us to remember that this is the salvation that we've received is not a product of all the works that we've done for God. Last week I shared that part of Satan's schemes is offering us the same destination that God has given us, but trying to show us a different way to get there. So let's say the destination is salvation. God goes, receive salvation. That's the destination. Receive salvation. And then Satan goes, work for your salvation. One is a gift. The other one paints, one paints salvation as a gift. The other one paints salvation as compensation. And salvation is not compensation from God. Salvation is a gift from God. There is a strong, the minute you have to pay for something, it is no longer a gift. 
It is compensation. And let me show you why we can often get confused about this. There's a passage that I love, I believe in, and I teach, but it's important for us to understand what it's saying so we don't get confused. And that's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I believe in that scripture, and I teach that scripture. But if you don't have an understanding, it can kind of conflict with this other stance that you can't work for your salvation. We as believers have to be good at reading every word because every word that comes from the mouth of God is food for you. There is nothing that you need to brush over. I don't even like brushing over the genealogy. Like you can't brush over anything because every word matters. Working for your salvation is different than working out your salvation. Working for your salvation is for people who don't have it. You're working for it. You don't have it yet. You're working so you can one day get it. Working out your salvation is for people who do. When you have salvation, you can then, you're then called to work it out, which, is mean, which means getting it from the inside of you to the outside of you. You, you cannot work to get the salvation in you. That is a gift from God. You can only receive it. The work starts after you've received it. Then you start working to get it out past your flesh, past your moods, past your culture, past your preferences, past your vices. Now that takes work. The same passion that I teach that you cannot work to earn your salvation, I am just as passionate that once you receive salvation, you're called to work. So please don't, please don't, uh, make it to where the word work makes you break out in hives. Like there's some Christians that when they hear the word work, they freak out. But they, they, they're, they're, and they're right to for, in the, in the context of earning. Works in context of earning salvation is totally heresy. It is not truth. However, we can't throw out the word works altogether because once you're saved, you're now saved for good works. So we have to develop the maturity to understand that when I hear works in this context, eh, that's wrong. But when I hear it in this context, ding, 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 because God forbid we get saved and, no, and not work. We, we have a scripture about that in a second. The only way to receive salvation is to repent and believe. That's the way Jesus said it, and that's the way we do it. And the, first, the reason why repentance is first because you have to first turn from the concept that you can produce this thing on your own. You must repent from the mindset that you have any ability to pay the debt of your sin. You must repent from the lie that you have any ability to pay for the debt of your sin. Guys, we can work for God every ounce of every day until we're 500 years old and still not even pay for a quarter of what we owe. It is impossible for you to earn your salvation. We do not have the capacity to pay back everything that we owe God for our sin. There was only one person who could pay for that sin, and that is Jesus Christ. So we must, we must repent from this idea that we can rely on ourselves to, to be saved and to make it through this life. You must first divorce yourself from that idea and admit that there is nothing I can do to earn it, and then therefore you are unable to then believe that though I can't pay for my sin, someone did, 
and his name is Jesus. And that's how you are saved. So again, I'm going to repeat this again. Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God. We cannot forget that this salvation is a gift. And I'm realizing the more we, the, the more, the longer we've been saved, the more we have to be adamant about this scripture. Because the Gentiles didn't struggle with this. They know what they did last week. They, they're like, we don't deserve to be here. Like, this is, we're just happy to be invited. <laughs> you know, like, they, they, it wasn't a stretch for them to realize that this was not a product of their own doing because they knew how much sin they had in their lives. The Bible says, he, he who has been forgiven much loves much. When you have a concept of how much you've been forgiven and how little you deserve the salvation that you have, it's not a stretch for you to realize it's a free gift. The ones of us who are vulnerable to self-dependence are those who actually feel entitled for the salvation we receive. Even if you have an ounce of, I worked for this, you must repent. Because everything that you can take credit for, that credit is taken away from God. Which is why the Bible says that God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble because everything that you can claim credit for is less credit that you're able to give to God. We and and uh, I say this for those of us who are even in, like in my camp, those who are actually doing stuff for God, those of us who have you know the degree or the credentials or the years of leading the Bible study or I'm, I used to be a pastor or I do this whatever. Those who are doing work for God, we have to be like Paul and determined to not set aside the fact that this is all for grace. This is all from grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I ended with this last week. I want to end with it again. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not a product of anything you've done, even the good stuff. Like, I promise you, we have to get to the point of where, Paul, where we're like Paul. Paul goes, I've done, if anyone could be bragging about the holy things they've done, it's me. Paul is like, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. He, he goes, in all of it, I count as filthy rags. We have to get to the point where we don't think that anything that we've done earned us what God has given us. And Paul is like, if I can receive this revelation, then y'all definitely can. Because basically, he was kind of low-key flexing a little bit. He's like, I, I've done more holy stuff than all y'all. And if my holy stuff was nothing, then y'all's is really nothing. That's what Paul was sharing. He goes, this is a gift from God, not a result of work, so that none of us can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which is why you can't throw out works altogether. Please, guys, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't let the fact that you are not supposed to work for your salvation make you throw out working after your salvation because we are called to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't do work for God so I will be accepted. I do work for God because I'm accepted. You don't work so you can be saved you work because you've been saved. Guys, there's a little word I feel the need to remind us of, and it's called gratitude. And I'm not trying to, like, be patronizing, but, guys, 
there's, there's, a, there's, a pure, there's a pure concept that we have to understand. Once you get a revelation of grace, there's something called gratitude that rises up in you. And you find yourself serving God out of gratitude for what he's done for you. When you truly understand just how powerful the mercy of God is, you will not have to be forced or even tugged to reciprocate your love for God by going, Lord, what, what, can, what can I do for you? Not so I can be saved, but because you've saved me. When you get a revelation of God's grace, you will work for him out of appreciation, not out of hope that one day he'll like me. See the difference? Work because you're loved, not so you can be loved. It's a very subtle difference, but I've seen people so often mix it up and it turns into something totally different. The same work can be done from a place that's totally different. It can just change the whole spirit. One rejuvenates you. Love serving God and working for God out of appreciation is the is the kind of work that the Bible says you will not grow faint and not grow weary, but you will your strength will be renewed like the eagles and you'll be able to endure this race and make it to the end. There's a grace that comes with working that way. The work of, oh, I hope God accepts me after I do this. I hope I can prove to him that I'm worthy of something. That's the work that drains you. It's the work that depletes you. It's the work that doesn't even satisfy you nor God. It's super tragic because you're actually putting in the work, and not only are you not receiving it, but God's not even receiving it which is why we cannot go this way anymore. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, for those of you who've been working like this, I know you're exhausted. I know you're heavy, and you're not even producing. There's not even fruit in it. You're putting in, you're exhausting yourself, and you're getting nowhere. He was talking to a whole nation that had just been building their lives on all of these dead works, and they were just as sinful as they were before they did the works. He goes, that's not working. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the ability to stop drawing from your own well, and I'm going to give you a new well called grace. And that grace is going to pour out on your life, and it's going to enable you and empower you to do things that you cannot do on your own. And it's going to finally give you the ability to rest from your own strength. Because now you'll have my strength. So I want to invite everybody here to come to Jesus. To put their own strength to rest. And learn to depend on the grace of God. It's a whole new life. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would... Encourage everybody here to repent from self-dependence and to stop drawing from their own strength and their own wisdom and their own ability and their own power and to learn the new way, the new way of grace where they see their life and their salvation as a gift and they trust that everything that they need 
has been given to them by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. May we no longer work to earn something that's already been given as a gift. May we not waste another minute of of an hour of a day. Lord, may we not invest any more time into the fruitless efforts of earning something that's been given as a gift. Lord, Holy Spirit, reveal to anyone who's been seeing salvation as compensation for the work they put in. Lord, help us to see that something cannot be compensation and a gift at the same time. Your word makes it clear that salvation is a gift. It is a gift. And I just pray for that simple truth to reach the depths of every heart that's in this room. Now, with everyone's eyes closed just for a brief period, I believe there are people who are ready to end from their own works and to step into God's grace. By a show of hands, with everyone's eyes closed, who's ready to receive the gift of salvation? Not the compensation, but the gift. Amen. Keep your hands up. That's right. I see it. That's good. It's a gift. Who's ready? The gift. The free gift. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus. People are stepping into the gift. You can open your eyes. I'm going to ask us all to stand, and we're going to approach God and receive the gift together. If you've already received it, let's pray this prayer together because this gift is here, and it's free. Repeat after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person in Christ. Say, uh, Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's celebrate grace. Let's offer thanks to God right now. Let's make some noise. If you're grateful, you can clap, you can shout, do something to show gratitude to God. Just do something. That's right. Let's keep going. Offer it to God. He's worthy of our thanks. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our gratitude. He's good. I'm going to ask for the prayer team to get in place. We're about to dismiss. If you said yes to Jesus and would like prayer, we have a team that is here to pray for you. We've got our founding pastor, Love. We've got Jennifer, and they're here to pray. And once we dismiss, please come on down, and they'd be happy to pray for whatever needs you have. Um, you can also text BELONG to 77411. And this, uh, when you text BELONG, there's a lot of options that apply to you, but you can check that you said yes to the Lord. And uh, we just want to celebrate with you. We've got some material we can send straight to your phone that can give you some scriptures to help you along the journey. You can go to our website and submit a prayer request that way too. Um, we got a team that's happy to pray for you. Whatever the requests you bring, we're here for you. We've got next steps 
It's on the third floor uh, this week. If you would like to take the next step of learning about our church, uh, we've got a really big Next Steps group. It was too big for our room down here, so we got to move upstairs. The church is growing. So third floor, we love to see you. We're just going to share more about the church, give you more about the vision about the church, and we would love to see you. Uh, lastly, if you would like to give uh, financially, we thank you in advance. Like I said, you can text your offering, give online, and we have a finance team in the back if you have a physical offering you want to give. Um, I said this in the first service, and I've never really done this before, but I felt impressed to say there's a handful of people. I'm not speaking to all of you, but there's a handful of people that either the past couple of days or prior to this morning, you were feeling challenged to give a, a certain amount that God was leading you to give. And some of you all were saying, Lord, if you want me to do this, confirm it. And I just felt oh, like I was supposed to say he heard you and that was him. So I've never done that before, but I just want to tell you, if that's you, then the Lord is really leading you to do something that's going to produce some great stuff in your life. Uh, so go for it. God is with you. He was the one leading you. Uh, but for all of us, yes, feel free to give. And um, I love y'all. I'm glad you're here. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. Enjoy your time. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be out. Father, thank you again for this morning. Bless everyone, Lord. Bring us back safely, whether in our life groups this week or next Sunday. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. And thank you for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day, y'all.